All right, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's nice to see you here for our Revelation class. Um, a few announcements. Hello. Next weekend, I'll be gone for Thanksgiving and all that, so there will be no Revelation class next Sabbath. Um, some of you may be out of town as well for the Thanksgiving holiday. And so we won't have Revelation next week. However, um, we will continue the week after that. And we're, we're rapidly coming to the end of the book. We've covered a lot of really great material. And also a reminder, these recordings do go up on Audioverse. So for purposes of the recording... Um, if I ask you to read a verse or if you have a comment or a question, please raise your hand and someone will bring a microphone to you. Um, at this point, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer and we will get started. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can study the book of Revelation. We thank you for the power that's found in your word. And as we study today, we pray that you would open up our minds to the deep things of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Revelation 18 is where we are. And last week, we basically got through the first two verses. So um, I plan on going faster today. Um, we hit really some of the key points last time. But just as a quick way of review, Revelation 18.1 is one of the key verses of Revelation. It's a time when an angel comes down from heaven having great power. The earth is lightened with his glory. Um, I'm just going to review what we discovered last week and that is that the angel that lightens this earth, that, that lightens the earth with its glory describes the time when the latter rain is poured out on God's people and the word power is from the Greek word dunamis, which connects to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So you have latter rain, Holy Spirit power, filling God's people, and therefore God's character, which is his glory, lightens the entire earth. And the significance of this is, as we go through the, these passages that in verse 4 we see that there's a message to come out of Babylon that you receive not of her plagues. These are the seven last plagues we've studied about. And when you study the seven last plagues and you understand that Babylon is the one who receives the outpouring of the seven last plagues, and when we understand that all the world wonders after the beast, humanly speaking, we have to ask the question, well, if I'm alive during that time, how do I escape being part of the whole world that wanders after the beast? And the answer is, God in his great mercy sends a message that lightens the earth with its glory that God calls his people out of Babylon so that they don't receive the plagues. So God is merciful. He gives everyone a chance. Of course, the caveat to that is those of us who know the truth, by the time that message comes down with great power from heaven, we've already had our chance to accept the truth. So we better have accepted it and be living it by that time because there's I mean judgment begins at the house of God there's no second chances so to speak with us once that happens we'll either be for God or against God and then this message will be for the rest of the world those who are still in Babylon so that's verse one and then verse two we see that the strength of this message is a repetition of the second angel's message so at the end of time just before the plagues are poured out 
the three angels' messages are going to come back in full force, and the second angel's message is especially highlighted. Now, we know from inspiration that the three angels' messages go in their order, first, second, and third. First angel's message includes the message of the everlasting gospel and the judgment and creation. And when God's people have a full grasp and understanding of that, then God empowers them with latter rain power. We give the second angel's message, and it's a message that calls people to come out. It's a very strong message. It doesn't mince words. It identifies Babylon as being fallen. It's the habitation of devils, every foul spirit, every unclean and hateful bird. And then... Picking up in verse 3, which we really didn't get to last week, why don't we go ahead. So that's basically a summary of what we looked at last week. So we're going to start now in verse 3. And um, let's have a volunteer to read verses 3 through 5. Revelation 18, verses 3 through 5. Volunteer. Right down here. So Revelation chapter 18, verses 3 through 5. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Okay, thank you. So... (coughs) The question is, what is it about Babylon that is fallen? And we studied last week that we see the phrase is fallen twice. That re- represents papal Rome and the daughter churches, the Protestant churches that have joined with her. And the two key teachings that cause them to be Babylon are Sunday sacredness and the immortality of the soul. And when we get to verse 3, we see all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We've studied from before that wine represents false doctrine. And I just identified some of the key false doctrines of Babylon. And notice it says that the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Now, we've already studied this before, but we see that Babylon is being judged Babylon is going to receive plagues because Babylon is the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and also it's committed fornication with the kings of the earth. And fornication is an unlawful union, literally speaking, between man and woman. And biblically speaking, Woman represents a church. This is an unlawful union between church and state, or the kings of the earth. And Babylon, who we see in Revelation 13, it was the dragon or the devil who gave his power seat and authority to Babylon, is committing fornication with the earth. So essentially you have an alliance of church and state in which Satan is at the head of this. And that's what's happening. And because of this, God sends this message that is the strongest message ever given to mortal man and says, come out. Because they're setting up a throne here on this earth that is unlawful. And furthermore, 
I'm not going to share my throne with Babylon. Either you come out of Babylon and receive the seal of God, or you stay in there and receive the mark of the beast. Because God is not going to share his throne with that which is unlawful and that which is unclean. And so the Bible makes it very clear, and it's very strong. And we have a comment down here, Ken. So, <clears throat> right there. In uh, Revelation chapter 2, mm-hmm. in verse 18 through 22, we won't read those, but if you, if they would, if you look at those on your own, mm-hmm. you'll see here that this is the time of the church of Thyatira. Yeah. And you'll see here that Jezebel is uh, brought into view. Mm-hmm. And verse 21 says, And they gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Yeah. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Yep. Now, the first time that ba- uh, Babylon has fornications with the kings of the earth mm-hmm. is under the reign of the church of Thyatira. Yeah. And this history is being repeated at the end of the world. Yep. And this is why Babylon has fallen, has fallen. Yeah. And uh, she is going to receive uh, the plagues. Uh, that's yeah. why it's important to come out. Yeah, very good. Thank you for that comment. And Thyatira, for those of you who may have forgotten, represents the period of church history from 538 to 1798. So that's a key point. So this has happened before, and it's going to happen on an even greater scale in a shorter period of time, but on a greater worldwide scale even than what happened in the Thyatira period. So thank you for that. Um, So we see why Babylon is being judged. Now notice here, kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Also the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacy. So not only are the political leaders in alliance with Babylon, but so are the financial leaders. And that makes sense because when you go back to Revelation 13, it says unless you receive the mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell. So it makes sense that the financial leaders would be in union with Babylon as well. And by the way, um, now's a good time in Earth's history to be paying attention to the financial leaders of this world and what they're trying to do and how that connects to Babylon and the end time scenario. Um, We have answers to some of the troubling questions that people have out there. I mean, I heard on the news the other day, people are saying, you know, nobody knows how low it's going to go. Well, we do. We don't know when exactly, but we know how it's going to end up. And um, as an aside, um, now is not the time to be putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into the stock market. Um, And actually, under inspiration, Ellen White, it's in Series B of the Special Testimony, said to put your money in stocks would be like putting your talent, your, burying your one talent in the earth. Um, I guess Seventh-day Adventists have not taken that counsel seriously, but they would have been better off if they had, especially in light of current events. That's just a, an aside. But, um, you know, I don't. I know it's Series B of the Special Testimonies, um, and it talks, it talks about putting stock. Yeah stocks and burying it in the earth or something like that. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't planning on bringing that up today, but anyway. So, based on what we see initially, union of political and financial leaders, verse 4, this voice says, come out of her my people. Now this brings up the obvious point 
that God has his people in Babylon. So <clears throat> the way we reach out to those people is crucial. We don't want to lose them. So to go after um, Babylon in an unchristlike way could unnecessarily prevent some of God's children who are currently in Babylon from accepting the truth if they see people who are trying to uplift the truth do it in an unchristlike way. And so that will defeat the purpose. So we want to give this message in, with the Spirit of Christ, but it's going to be strong and the messages come out of her. It's not, you can believe what you want to believe, I can believe what I want to believe, and we can all be saved. No, it's like, if you stay there, you're going to be lost. Come out. And that's, the Bible doesn't mince words there. Um, so, um, that's what the Bible says, not me. And the clear implication is, is that if you don't come out of Babylon, you will be partakers of her sin and you will receive of her plagues. And what are the plagues? We study that in Revelation chapter 16. And so... Um, God, in his great mercy, gives those, uh, his people who are in Babylon, the opportunity to come out. And I believe that many will come out. I believe that many will come out when this message that lightens the earth with God's glory is given. And then verse 5 is interesting. It says, For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Now, this is interesting language. Can you think of a time in the Bible where similar language is used, where the word remember and iniquity is used in the same phrase? There's a few different places, but the, th the place I'm thinking of is specifically the New Covenant. And you can find that in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, or Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. Why don't we go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. And could I have a volunteer to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17? <clears throat> There's a volunteer in the back over here. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Okay, thank you. So we have the new covenant. God says, I'm going to put my law into your heart and in your mind. So notice his law into our heart and into our mind. And when that new covenant takes place, notice what happens to our sins. It says, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So, New Covenant, God writes his law into our heart and mind. Our sins and iniquities, he remembers no more. What happens to Babylon in Revelation chapter 18? It says, he has remembered her iniquities. Which means that Babylon has not experienced the New Covenant. Or in other words, Bab Babylon has not had God's law written into their heart and mind. Or in other words, Babylon has broken God's law. It's the same power that thought to change times and laws in Daniel 7.25. And the, the main law that they have not remembered or that they have broken is the fourth commandment. 
And it's interesting, and Roger, you were pointing this out. I saw you saying this. Fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. If we remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, God will write his law into our hearts and remember our sins and iniquities no more. So we remember the Sabbath, God forgets our iniquities. However, if we forget the Sabbath, like Babylon does, God will remember our iniquities. Do you see that? So it's very clear. Revelation 18 makes it very clear the importance of God's law, the new covenant, and what happens when we forget that. So this is sort of a big, you know, the, the introduction as to why Babylon is fallen. Now let's move, continue to move along here in chapter 18. Let's read verses 6 through 8. Could I have a volunteer to read Revelation chapter 18, verses 6 through 8? Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double her double according to her works. And the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself, and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she, hath, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death, and mourning, and famine, and shall... And she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. Okay. So, <clears throat> now we're getting into the actual punishment that Babylon receives. We see that she's rewarded double according to her works. And, you know, it's interesting. You come to the end of chapter 18. It says, In her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. And she's going to be rewarded double for all of that. So, I must say that being on the side of Babylon is not the side to be on at the end of time. Right now, humanly speaking, it may seem easier. It may seem easier to take the easy, broad road and just do whatever everyone else is doing and follow the Babylonian mindset. But at the end of the day, um, Babylon is going to be rewarded double according to her works. And then verse 7 says, How much she hath glorified herself, lived deliciously. And notice it says, she, she says in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow, widow and shall see no sorrow. Now, <clears throat> this is something that you kind of have to read between the lines. But when Babylon says, I sit a queen, I'll see no sorrow. Um, it reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar when he said, is this not great Babylon which I have built? And then he got cut down. And here Babylon is saying, wow, I'm, I'm such a great queen. I have the whole world wondering after me and worshiping me. I've got everything under control. Or another way of looking at it is to say, wow, I am so rich. I don't need anything. Does that sound like anything else we've seen? Laodicea? So here's a key application. Beware of being Laodicean in the judgment hour. Beware of saying I'm rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Because it's that mentality that will prepare you to join forces with Babylon at the end of time. So if we're feeling comfortable in our, 
our Christian experience, wow, I'm not like those wicked people. I'm okay. I mean, I'm not doing everything I should be doing, but hey, I'm good. Beware. That's the Babylonian mindset. We don't want to have the Babylonian mindset, especially in the judgment hour which we are living in. And then we see that when this mindset comes, verse 8, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judgeth her. And here we see direct involvement of God in the judgment of Babylon. And I keep forgetting to bring the quote. I know there's people out there that say that that when God destroys, the way he destroys is just by withdrawing himself and that he lets the devil do it or whatever. Um, Ellen White says, I believe it's 668, a great controversy, that God can sometimes withdraw his hand, but other times he's actively part in it. So to say he, he only does it in one way is a straw man's argument. But here we see direct involvement of God where says, strong is the Lord who judges Babylon, and she is utterly burned with fire. And the seven last plagues, it's God who sends his angel to pour out each of the plagues. There's seven angels, one with, a, with seven vials, one with a vial each, and they each pour out a plague. And it's not a pretty picture. And you may say, well, God is mean. How could he do that? That's not nice. Remember Revelation 18.1? God in his great mercy, before he does that, enlightens the entire world and says, come out. I love you. Come out. Don't be part of that. But I can't share my throne with wickedness. Unrighteousness and righteousness cannot dwell together. There has to be an end to it at some point. So that's what we are seeing here. Now, verse 9, let's see, let's have a volunteer to read Revelation chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. Revelation 18, verses 9 and 10. Let's see, I'll pick someone. Joel, if you could read it. Revelation 18, verses 9 and 10. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Okay. So, here we see that those who made a political religious alliance with her, the kings of the earth, who committed fornication with her, when the judgment of Babylon comes, when the plagues begin to be poured out, then they realize they're on the wrong team. But when you study the seven last plagues, you remember, it said they repented not of their deeds. So they're not sorry for what they did. They're just sorry that they're on the wrong team. Um, And not to take this analogy too far, but it's sort of like when you were in elementary school and you really wanted to play on one team during recess, and then your team gets blown out 50 to nothing or something, and you're sorry that you lost the game. But, you know... It doesn't change the fact that, you know, if you had to do over again with the same circumstances before it happens, you would make the same choice. And here the kings of the earth realized that they made the wrong choice. Even though they lived deliciously with her for a while, they were made rich because of her. Then they realized, oops, we're on the wrong side. We went against God. 
but boy, we sure had a good time while it lasted, and I'm so sorry that it's coming to an end. Um, that's what we see happening here. And, yeah, and that's what Judas said as well. We have a comment over here. Um, so we see, we see that those who align with Babylon are sorry f- for being on the wrong side, so to speak. Comment. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, in verse, uh, is it verse 7? No. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, it makes two references to time, that mm-hmm. the judgments come in one day, yeah. the plagues fall in one day, yeah. and then the judgment comes in one hour. Yeah. How, how are those related? Is it literal? I mean, how do we take that? Okay, good question. So when it says her judgment has come in one day or in one hour, um, if you remember, based on the study of Revelation, um, in Revelation 10, where it says there should be time no longer, um, that is no more prophetic time from 1844 to the second coming. This is before the second coming. So we don't take this literally. With what we m- take this as is um, it means a short time or a short space the, um, or suddenly. Um, the the synonyms used to describe this time period is short space, one hour, one day. And to say it's one hour, to say it's one day, seems like a contradiction, but it really isn't. It's just saying it's a very short space. And there's no prophetic time between 1844 and the Second Coming. So good question. Um, right. Uh-huh. Okay, and I see a few hands, but I'm really trying to get through chapter 18 today. Um, now, <clears throat> one thing that I want you to, to notice here is um, in verse 10, it says that the kings of the earth, it says they're standing afar off. We're going to see that phrase again. So as they see the judgment of Babylon, we see that the wicked are standing afar off. And then let's read verses... Um, 11 through 15. A volunteer to read Revelation 18, verses 11 through 15. Quickly. Let's see, down here. Revelation 18, verses 11 through 15. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and of fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thine or tine, no thine, wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments, and frankincense, and wine, and oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and beasts, and sheep, and horses, and chariots, and slaves, and souls of men. And the fruits that thy soul lusteth after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. Okay, thank you. So we first read in verses 9 and 10, the kings of the earth, they lament the fall of Babylon and they stand afar off. Then verses 11 through 15, 
fairly detailed description of the merchants of the earth and all the things that made them rich. We're not going to go through each point. That would take forever, but it's a good study to do on your own time. But notice, they come to the end. It says, verse 15, it says, The merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off. So the kings of the earth, they stood afar off. The merchants of the earth, they stand afar off, weeping and wailing. And um, I'll just read um, verses 16 and 17. And then it says, And saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches has come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And then verse 19, And they cast dust on their heads, and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea, by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. So now we see the shipmasters stand afar off. Now if you study back to Daniel 11 and when the king of the north pushes at the king of the south and you see a number of issues going on there. It talks about um, ships, chariots, horsemen, and so forth, which is describing the military power that the king of the north uses. Here we have shipmasters and so forth describing also the military might in this world. So you have political, financial, and military leaders all lamenting the fall of Babylon all standing afar off. And if you think about what drives the world, it's politics, finances, and military. And these three all lament or stand afar off when Babylon falls. Now, um, in the interest of time, I'm just going to give you these references. You can write them down. Matthew 27:55 and Luke 23:49 describes Jesus when he died on the cross. His followers are weeping and lamenting. And it says, they stood afar off. So Matthew 27, 55 and Luke 23, 49. The followers of Christ, when Jesus died, they stood afar off. Now what's the significance When Jesus died, his followers, all of their hope, future, and security was destroyed in one day. They had no hope. And they stand afar off, weeping and lamenting as all their hopes for this life and the future life go down the drain. And this is another parallel which we haven't talked about a whole lot, but it's another parallel that shows Babylon being the Antichrist. Because Christ, his followers, stood afar off when he died, weeping and lamenting. Babylon, when it's destroyed, its followers stand afar off, weeping and lamenting. Of course, Christ sends three angels' messages. Antichrist has three unclean spirits that come out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Christ calls us to the New Jerusalem. Babylon says, come to our city. This is, this is the place to be. So there's all these contrasts between Christ and Satan, Christ and Antichrist, and we see, again, the Antichrist um, principles in Babylon. So 
political, financial, and military leaders um, lament the fall of Babylon. And then we have the shift of gears here. Let's see, how are we doing on time? Um, Verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. So, finally some good news for God's people. You, You study the seven churches and God's people are being tormented in Smyrna and Pergamos, Thyatira, and on and on. You go to the seals and the souls are crying out under the altar. Their blood cries out, how long till you judge and avenge us, O Lord? You, you come to Revelation 12, the dragon is wroth with a woman. It makes war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God. Revelation 13, the, the two beasts seek to kill those who won't receive the mark of the beast. But finally we see that God avenges the blood of his saints on Babylon. And the Bible says rejoice over her. We're not going to be like, oh, that's too bad. It's be like, praise God, they're out of here. The devil has no more foothold here on this earth. God is finally victorious. No more Babylon. And in light of that, one question I have is, why do we still find the spirit of Babylon so attractive in our own lives? Why do we try to be as much like Babylon as possible? We don't want to look too peculiar in the way that we dress. We're afraid that people will say we're dressed in potato sacks or whatever, you name it. And I've heard all that kind of stuff. But why do we want to be like Babylon when they're going to have the judgments of God poured out on them at the end of time? God has called us to give a message to call people out. And now is not the time for us to be going into Babylon. We come out, not go in. So just uh, a point for us to consider. Are we really coming out? Have we really come out? Or have we gone in? And if we've gone in, how can we call people to come out if we've gone in? There's no way. And so that's why Revelation 18.1 is still waiting to happen. God's people need to wake up and receive this message. Now moving on here, verse 21 says, And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Now, do you remember where Jesus said, um, He that offends, it's better for him to have a millstone cast, put around his neck and cast into the sea? Um, here we see that the fulfillment of that statement by Jesus takes place to Babylon. And then as we finish up the chapter here, then verse 22 says, And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee, and no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And then verse 23. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. 
So verses 22 and 23 show that when Babylon is destroyed, that their methodology will no more be found here on this earth. And then it's interesting, into <clears throat> verse 23 it says, For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Now, what does the word sorcery make you think of? It makes you think of witchcraft or spiritualism. So here you have a supposed religious entity that is using the spiritual tools of the devil or sorcery or witchcraft. And through that sorcery and through that witchcraft, they deceived all nations. And again, we can see how that sorcery has already come into Babylon through the teaching that when you die, you don't really die. You go to heaven. Because then you're teaching that um, it, it's possible then for your dead loved one to come back in the form of a spirit from heaven. And then if you believe that that's possible, you'll believe anything that that dead spirit tells you. And um, so that sorcery that's already existent in Babylon is preparing for all nations to be deceived. And then <clears throat> verse 24 says, And in her, Babylon, was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Now this is pretty dramatic language if you think about it. It's saying that everyone who's died on earth, Babylon is responsible for their death. Now, a skeptic may say, so you're trying to say that modern-day papal Rome, who's modern-day Babylon, is um, guilty of the blood of Abel, who was the first one who was murdered? I mean, what are you talking about? Well, spiritual things, again, are spiritually discerned. And it's the spirit of Babylon, which is the spirit of the devil, and which has been seen ever since Cain slew Abel, and has been seen, um, it was seen in the Tower of Babel, and it's been seen from the time when Nebuchadnezzar said, is this not great Babylon that I've built? And if you don't tell me the interpretation of my dream, I'm going to cut your heads off and make your houses a dunghill. It's, it's been seen through Babylon when pagan Rome tr- um, murdered Christ. It's been seen in the Dark Ages during the 1260 years. And it will be seen again at the end of time when those who refuse to worship God according to the way God tells us to worship are threatened with death if we don't worship the way Babylon tells us to worship. So in that sense, Babylon is guilty of the blood of prophets, saints, and of all that were slain upon the earth. And I'll say this. I'd rather die for Christ than live for Babylon. What's the point of living for Babylon? You're going to receive the plagues at the end of time. That's not such a good conclusion. But if you live for Christ and you're a martyr now, you'll get to experience the special resurrection, which Daniel chapter 12 talks about, Revelation chapter 14 talks about. We'll get to have that special experience. So in summary... Revelation 18 is 
the message that describes how and why Babylon is destroyed. And it reminds us of the great mercy of God that just before he destroys Babylon, just before he pours out the seven last plagues, he gives everybody on this earth an opportunity to come out of her. And he will do that when he has a group of people that are ready to give that message. And when is that going to happen? It's when God's character is seen in the lives of his people to a full measure. Because the earth will be lightened with the glory of God in the lives of his people. They will have latter rain power. But God's not going to pour out his latter rain on his people to give a final warning message to Babylon until all of us have fully done away with the Babylonian spirit of sin in our own lives. When that has been done away with, God can then pour out his Holy Spirit upon us. The whole world will then receive a warning message of mercy It will be a repetition of the second angel's message to come out of Babylon. And then people will have the opportunity to decide once and for all which side they're on. You have a minute. And then when that happens, we can go home. And so I'm looking forward to that day. Let's do all we can to be among the people who live to see the loud cry given. Thank you, everyone. So no class next week. Two weeks from now, we'll pick up Revelation 19. Thank you.